we kind of got connected actually, maybe through a mutual investing group, or I, I feel like you popped up on my Facebook one day and I started checking out. I go, oh, this guy's got a good show. He's got, you know, you, you've got your own podcast and everything. Can you give us like a quick breakdown of your background and how you got started in real estate and even the podcast is uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I'm a, I'm a 50-year-old guy who got started three years ago in real estate. Um, so I've been in the loan trading space since 2002. I was from 2002 to 2006, the last big run-up in the real estate market. I was living in South Florida, working for um, a large bank, AB Amro, on their mortgage capital markets desk. And our responsibility was for trading large loan portfolios bank to bank. So the uh, AB Amro was a top five residential jumbo originator at the time. And uh, we also owned uh, LaSalle Commercial Bank, which was a large multifamily originator. And so we were selling both residential and multifamily loans direct to other banks. Um, 2007, I started my own business doing that, and I still have that business. Uh, was always intrigued about getting into the real estate world. And um, about three years ago, my business was running efficiently and I felt like it was just time to, to bite the bullet and get in the game. So um, I bought a duplex and I guess that, you know, that was a whole mindset thing, you know, um, I guess that was the, the way for me to get into the business. And I was even scared to buy the duplex. It was, a, you know, something I hadn't done before. And so that was the first transaction it was a new construction duplex. It was going to take a year to build. And then once I signed that contract, I was like, and this is going to take forever to build any wealth. So I, I joined a multifamily mentorship group a few months later. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, a year, I invested passively in like nine different syndications. And then I landed my first syndication deal um, about nine months in. And then it took us a couple months to close it. That's awesome. Um, what's funny is uh, I do residential finance and Crystal does commercial. So we're like, we probably all understand that business, um, but I think we're live we're in a business where you know you're doing loans for people that might not that are getting cash flow and stuff, and that's how we kind of learn. We're like, man, what are we? What are they doing? Because they're not working as hard as we are, and they're collecting right. cash flow, and they're just building wealth, and they're taking cash out refis. You're like, um, but one thing you and said, the tax is, incentives. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's that's the crazy part. The I no tax. Looking at somebody's tax return. And this guy, he had a net worth of like 25 million and his tax liability was like 15, 20,000 because he had all this depreciation that covered a lot of the cash flow. So I was like, man, this just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, we got to figure this thing out. Yeah. And one thing that you triggered me was um, a lot of people when they start buying, and I mean, you know, this too is. I think it's a, it is a mindset thing. I think people think, oh, I got to learn this. I actually, actually, you just got to like, like we say, just like our mentors say, just get in the game. And you're like, what are you talking about? And when you get in the game, you're like, okay, I'm not in the sand. I'm on the field. It's completely different. So I wanted to kind of ask you about that. Like when you, when you made that move with a mindset, um, what was it like, like going through it and then now, like just the difference, like how you feel? Holy cow. It's crazy. Um, I was really nervous to buy that duplex, which is silly when I look back on it. I mean, um, I had plenty of capital. 
so it wasn't like it was a, it was gonna change my lifestyle one way or another. I think uh, my wife and I put in like fifty grand, bought a three hundred thousand dollar duplex, and um, once I I just decided, hey, this isn't gonna really move the needle. It's gonna take too long. I went looking for a way to do it, and then I found a multifamily mentorship group. What what changed helped change my mindset is all of a sudden. I joined this multifamily mentorship group and I was surrounded by all these other people that had already done it. You know, bought a hundred unit plus deal, bought three deals, bought four deals, five deals. And look, I couldn't help but size them up. I mean, like I met a lot of great people, but you know, they're people. They're just people like you and me and the listeners. And so once I surrounded myself with that and I saw, look, they can do it. I can do it. You know, I don't know how to do it yet, but if they can do it, I'm committed to making it happen. And and so that that was huge. Surrounding yourself with other people that had already done it. We're part of the same group uh, too, and I think it is really cool to hear other people's backgrounds because the one thing that you do learn is a lot of people who got started and who are doing multiple deals and have ownership in thousands and thousands of units. Some of them don't have any background in real estate. They're in tech or they're in something completely different and they've learned uh, sort of the game, so to speak. And now they've invested in numerous deals and they're making cash flow. And some of them are, you know, quitting their jobs within a few years if that's their goal, you know, to do this full time. Uh, so it is really cool to see that anybody can do it as long as you're willing to get in the game. And I understand what you mean, that, like that, that nervousness. Like we've been doing financing for 17 years. When we bought our first house, we were so nervous and, and Kenny even too was like a wreck. We were getting a residential loan. He does it for a living, but you're always like, you know, it's a big decision and my credit and what if something happens and even if that could change your lifestyle, nobody wants to lose money. Like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> when you think back on it, yeah. you know, but, but that's the thing. And I think that's the thing that listeners have to think about is, is look, you can, you can educate yourself, listen to podcasts, read books, but if you don't do it, like, never going to be able to get to the next spot because look you bought that residential house i'm not scared of that anymore yeah i bought that duplex i'm not scared of that anymore but i was at the time you know since then i went duplex to a 76 unit you know as a lead syndicator and then i that was a six million dollar deal and then i was a co-sponsor in a 15 million dollar deal and then i was just a co-sponsor in a 30 million dollar deal in january so it never would have happened had I not bought that duplex, because I never, I would have just stayed on the sidewalk. You know, the funny part is to me too, is that you go from a two unit to a 76 unit and people go like, whoa, how do you make this jump? Like for you, what, what was it that made you comfortable to go from two, which was really scary to now your, your 76 unit deal? Yeah. So it was, uh, surrounding myself with other people. Um, that was, that was huge because I'll, you know, I'm a guy that's I'm competitive, and you know, wh- wherever I was in the corporate world, I was always chasing the person that was, you know, leading the path. And so, when I saw all these other people that were successful, I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. So then I just, I just educated myself. Okay, what's the next step? So people would ask, Darren, what was the hardest part about getting that first seventy-six unit deal? And I'm like, every, every part of it. Like every part was scary the first time calling the brokers, you know, you know, when you call the brokers, you know, they're going to pick up the phone. Hey, this is Darren. I would like to go on this hundred unit 
in a property tour. Sounds good, man. How do, what do you own? Well, I really don't own anything. You know, <laughs> know you're going to have no credibility, right? But you still have to get over the hump and somehow build up that credibility. Um, being part of a mentorship group definitely helped because, um, you know, a lot of the brokers were familiar with, with the group and, and had done business with other people in the group, so that brought some credibility. But, not, you know, not the first time calling somebody, that's scary. The first time going on a property tour, what do I ask? What are they going to ask me? You know, all those things. But you, you're not going to learn unless you get out and do, there and do it. So you're going to stumble and you're going to get better each time. What's, um, why, what really got you intrigued in the multifamily? I know we talked, we were kind of talking, uh, prior before you jumped on here, but really, what really like enticed you to go from two to join the group and get in there and be like, this is the asset class. This is what I want to dive into. This is the thing. Yeah. So, uh, with my other business trading loan portfolios, I, I've been around trading residential, multifamily, and commercial real estate loans uh, for years and years. And, um, you know, any of the banks that I dealt with that bought multifamily loans, they just loved the asset class. They loved the performance of the asset because people always need a place to live. So even in downturns, that asset class typically, you know, is pretty resilient. And, um, so that was attractive to me um, from that standpoint. And I understood it because I've been in the, in the business for so long on the other side. Um, so that's why I picked multifamily. Um, in terms of you know, going to 76 units, again, a duplex I knew was gonna take forever, so I wanted to go bigger. Um, what attracted me to kind of the large scale multifamily was the ability to scale, the ability to really have third-party property management. Um, so like on our 76 unit, we have one full-time leasing person and one full-time maintenance person on the property. Um, I have weekly calls with property management company to you know, see how things are going and talk through it and, and do it proactively. But I'm not part of the day-to-day. -day. I don't have to, you know, I, I don't write any leases. I don't review any leases. I don't... Um, fix anything. I don't have to call the plumber to fix it. They all take care of all that. You didn't deal with all the frozen pipes <laughs> a few weeks ago. That's huge. And, you know, a property management company was sending me emails and calling me daily, giving me updates without me even having to reach out to them that's when great. we had all that frozen stuff going on in Texas. Um, so that's huge. Now, some people, you know, we talked about mindset earlier. Some people can't get there right away first deal, they're like, yeah, but I just can't see myself doing a hundred unit deal, an eight unit deal. And look, if you can't get over that mindset, then start with a duplex or a fourplex or an eightplex and learn it and then move on. But, you know, I've met with people through coffee that reach out to me and Instagram and whatnot, and they, they're like, Darren, I want to buy a 16 unit deal or a 24 unit deal. I'm like, dude, if that's where your mind is, then go do it. But let me tell you, it's probably going to be harder than doing a 70-unit or 80-unit deal. And many people can't understand that. But look, you know, with a 12-unit deal or a 20-unit deal, you can't afford full-time staff. So, you know, they're going to 
you're going to have to have a part-time person who maybe splits between two properties, and they have to make appointments whenever they want to show, you know, a unit versus, you know, when you have a full-time person there, somebody, a new tenant comes up, they drive up, you can show up the property right then and there. You don't have to make an appointment, you know. Um, so, but it is mindset, definitely. It's, it's, it's crazy that people don't see that. It's cool that you said that because a lot of people, like I talk to, we do finances. A lot of people we get referred to, they're going to buy their first four unit deals. So we they want to go, I want to get approved. And I'm like, well, let's talk about what's the plan, what's the goal, what's the mindset. They're like, what are you talking about? I was like, look, this isn't buying a house to live in. This is an investment. What are you going to do with it? You know? And so when I have this conversation, they're like, wow, I got a lot to think about. I said, yeah, this is a business. Know, right, you don't just buy a property saying, Well, my cousin bought a property, so I want to be like him and buy one. You know, that's how you lose money on them. Um, other thing to, to think about it, people always said, Okay, well, you had the duplex, you bought the 76 unit, which one do you think was the better investment? That one put 50 grand into the duplex, $300,000 duplex. I put my wife and I put a hundred thousand into a six million dollar 76 unit, and then we raised. Two and a half million dollars. So, but here's here's the thing is so the duplex took a year to build. We got two tenants right away. They were they were both in a year, and it was like it was almost like I didn't have it. I hired a third party property management company, and I just got ACH every month, and I didn't even have to do anything. But here was the kicker: after the first year, one of the tenants decided to move out. <laughs> moved out and now it was like October, November. So the school season already started. We had no tenant for October, November, December, January, February. Ouch. Four or five months. And you know, for, for me, look, I, I think the man upstairs, it wasn't like changed my lifestyle at all. Um, but I was cash flow negative for those four or five months. I you know I had it so it didn't Impact me, but I went from 100% occupied to 50% occupied for like four or five months. Well, my 76 unit deal, we first of all, when we buy it, we plan for like 10% vacancy, so that's already baked into the numbers. And then every month, we have some people that are leaving and some people that are coming, and we have some vacant units. and that we're cleaning up and getting fixed up. and But for me to go to 50% occupancy, I'd have to lose 38 units. Like, that's not happening. I mean, we right? just went through COVID. It didn't, it probably the best life that's going to happen. It didn't happen, right? So. Right. So, you know, absolutely, I think that it's so much smarter going bigger. Scale. Yeah. Scale. We always say, everybody's like, I understand why scale's better. You just, I mean, literally, that's that's why, right there. I mean, that's why we have a tough time with all these houses is depending on where you, we're lucky we're in San Diego, things rent fast, but there's other parts of the country, people go by, they think, oh, we'll just rent like here. And it's like, no, it could take four or five months to get a renter. And Especially in that, that's like the slow season. We used to own a property management company and we managed like 1,500 units here in San Diego too. And um, that was a lot of work. But, <laughs> but from, yeah. Leasing time, like we would never have leases expiring during that time to 
try and minimize it, but that's rough. And I, I, I tell people the same thing too. Like, I know you feel like having a fourplex or a duplex is safer, but it's not. And that cash flow you think you're getting, it's gone if you have a vacancy. Like, if you have a single family home, you're just losing. I don't even know how you make money on that, you know, but um, that's kind of our biggest thing. Like, what would you recommend to someone who's wanting to get into the business? How would you recommend that they start? Like, they've probably done a lot of research by now to even arrive at the decision. What would you say is their first step they should be taking? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people, like you said, they, they start out in education, right? Read books, listen to podcasts, but then, you know, the next step, really is um, you got to decide, do I join a mentorship group or not? You know, so I, my advice is if you have the capital to do it, you know, then I would recommend you do it because it's not so much about the, some people think it's about the learning, like, okay, videos you're going to get, underwriting, you know, Excel spreadsheet, but it's really about the network. It's about the people that you're going to meet and you're going to be exposed to. And for me, the big value was meeting those people, giving me the confidence to be able to do it, and then also sharing their their team. Everyone says multifamily is a team sport. What does that mean? Well, you need lenders. You need attorneys. You need property management companies. And if I was going to go on my own, you know, I'm going to Google multifamily attorneys. And then I'm going to have to like sift through them, interview them, figure out like who's, and I still may, might make the wrong decision. But here I talk to all these syndicators. Who do you use? Who do you use? Who do you, and everybody uses kind of the same two or three attorneys, the same two or three property management companies. So, you know, so it weeds that down really quickly for you. So I think joining the group, um, it gives, it shortens the time frame for most people to, to be successful. Um, that would be number one. Number two is you can't win a large deal without having an experienced partner. So, you know, you want to get into the game. If you want to buy a duplex or fourplex, you can do that on your own if you've got the capital. Um, but if you want to buy an 80 unit or a 100 unit deal, Broker, the deals across the country are just too competitive. You will not win a deal because at the end of the day, there's going to be two or three other offers that are around the same price, and the broker and the seller are going to talk and going to say, who should we go with? And they're not going to pick the new guy that nobody's done a deal with unless you're way overpaying. Um, so, you know, I say that the first thing you should do is build, you know, relationships with four or five experienced people in the business that have done 100 plus unit deals that agree, hey, Bristol, if you get a deal, you know, I'd be happy to partner with you. And so now you got one. You got to get like five of those people. And so when you find a good deal, you've got five people to call. And uh, so why five? You know, I pulled it out of the hat, but, you know, I've talked to some people where, you know, I had one guy that called me on Instagram. He's like, I got this awesome guy. He partnered with me all day long. He's out in the Midwest. He's got like 2,500 units. And I'm like, that sounds like a great partner. But what happens? You spend six weeks, eight weeks on, on a deal. You call that guy up. He's like, Joe, I'd love to do business with you. I just agreed to go in on this other deal at, at 
only use Apple, you know, for two years at the same time. He wants to do business with you, but the timing is just off. Well, if if you try to go build a relationship at that point, too late, and now you're going to have to go to the broker and say you can't close and back out. That broker is not going to be willing to work with you. Yeah, we see that a lot. I feel like with syndicators, there's a little bit of that reputation uh, with certain people that are newer is that they're always scrambling to find the money, and sometimes the deal falls apart because, like you said, I mean, the other thing, too, is when you find a guy who's a money guy, a lot of times they want to have, they have a big opinion about what's going to happen in the deal. So if there's something kind of changes in the deal, they don't like it during due diligence, and they go, you know what, I'm sorry, Crystal, we, I, I just don't, I, I'm not in it for this deal. Like, these things change, and you still want to do the deal, and now you lost your, your money guy, you know, the guy who's going to help you qualify, too, because that's, that's a thing. And then uh, somebody to help you with the cash and the money raise and all that stuff. It, it, it is uh, the scariest part. I, I would say that was probably that's probably our scariest part about syndicating and buying bigger deals. Like, you know, you bought your fourplex, you had your money together. You're like, that's one thing I don't have to worry about. I have my cash, I'm ready to go. When you syndicate a deal, you have to, you know, have a little faith in the relationships that you've built and, you know, have it come all together, so... That's absolutely true, and that that right there is what scares a lot of people is is the capital raise. You know, um, you know, can I raise the money? Well, that's that's another reason to, to partner with somebody that is successful, um, that has a reputation, because you know, even some people in your own network, you know, that they they like you, they want to do business with you, but they know it's your first deal, right? Yeah. So they're like, oh, should I just take a pass and wait for the next one? <laughs> yeah. See, see how they do? Or you partner with somebody and you sell their reputation. Look, I know I'm new, but my partner's done five deals. And you know what? His return on the last deal was two to 300% to, to limited partners. Whoa, you know, like what? You know, but all of a sudden, it changes the gears a little bit in, in the investor's mind. So, um, you know, you start, I think as a first-time syndicator, you have to lean on the experience of the experienced partner and then also the experience of your property management team, your attorneys, your, your inspection team, et cetera. Yeah, those first handful of deals, I would say, are probably the toughest. Um, in your experience, uh, do you feel like now going into your second deal, or that as a general partner, do you feel like it'll be easier because of all the other investments you have now that you've built a track record? Um, it, it's definitely easier, because one, because of mindset. I'm not scared anymore, mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing. But it's still a very competitive market. So after um, I got the, I think we closed on the second six unit December 2018, so it's been a couple of years you know, since uh, close on that. In the first like three months, I took off. I just wanted to learn how to asset manage. And then I started going hard again at, at new deals. And I was runner up on, on two deals. Like I thought I was going to win and I didn't. And um, so after that, I was like, look, I, I need to, I need to pivot. So I, you know, I could keep doing the same thing and coming in second and third, or I could look for a new way. And so I said, okay, I'm going to continue to go after my own deals, but I'm also going to reach out to syndicators that I know 
um, that I trust, that I've been around, that are still winning the race, you know, that are more experienced than me, and you know, let them know that hey, look, if you guys get a deal, I, I'm open to co-sponsoring. So I'll take a smaller piece of the, of the of the pie. Come on as a GP, you guys will be the lead, and I'll be a co-sponsor. And um, so I kind of took a two-prong approach, and um, I ended up partnering on a fifteen million dollar deal, like two hundred and twenty. Um, deal in South Dallas, you know, that was about December of 2019, and then um, I did the same thing with, with two other gentlemen um, and closed on an A property in Houston, which was like a $30 million deal in January of this year. Um, I was also start, you know, still going after my own deals, and last February, really thought I had this deal. It was, in, it was in Corsicana. It was in south of Dallas, about an hour south of Dallas. And um, I ended up losing runner-up again. You know, So after that, I told my kids, all right, Dad's got it. You know, I was pissed. <laughs> you know, I was pissed. I had worked on it for a long time. I thought I was going to win it. And um, I said, look, I got a day or two to be pissed, and then I'm going to have to figure out what to do next. And I said to the big man upstairs, like, okay, well, you know, just go after the next deal or what? And he put a little whisper in my head, podcast. And I looked on my phone, I looked up podcast conferences. There was one in Orlando the following week called PodFest. I booked a ticket, went down, didn't know anybody there, didn't meet any real estate people, just met a bunch of podcasters. And, um, I said, how do I do this thing, you know? And um, he said, I started podcasts in the summer, and that's been great. Um, just like you guys, you get to meet a bunch of people. And, um, you know, I, I'm learning from everybody that comes on the show. And, um, yeah, it's been fantastic. So sometimes you got to pivot in life, right? Sometimes something bad happens, and it actually turns out to be pretty good. I also think sometimes, you know, we have our kind of moments we want it now and, and you know maybe you're going to get it but it's not going to be on your timing it's going to be in the right timing so I think we have I think we all want that instant gratification you know like we're all having this race to get cash flow so we can live the life that we want <laughs> but it's it, it takes time and, and it's not easy and it is getting harder it's, it's definitely much more competitive now than it has been in the past so uh but I think that there, there's always a time for everything and, and the podcasting has certainly opened many many doors for us and built a lot of relationships with people a lot faster uh are you finding the same thing in terms of like you know what your ultimate goals are has podcasting helped grow your business yeah it's not i'm sure you guys could relate to this it's not like you start a podcast and like the next month all of a sudden you get like 10 deals a show <laughs> yeah. yeah but it you know the i'm building relationships with a lot of people i, I wouldn't have otherwise um I have people that invested in that the last Houston deal um, that came to know me through the podcast. Um, so it, it's definitely having an impact. But you know, here's the thing: is you know, I have this other business, and you know, I, I've done pretty well for myself. And, but the syndication business is a way to really grow wealth, right? Grow, grow cash flow, grow wealth. Some of the people that I met early on, I mean, just crazy 
you talk about any almost any other industry, people are pretty tight-lipped about you know their financial world. You know how much they make, how much they save, whether they have any investments. All of a sudden, I'm meeting all these people, and they're like, Darren, I'm, I'm like, is this real? You know, like I, I want to know if this thing is real. Like, yeah, my net worth was five hundred thousand. That was five hundred. You know, another guy. You know, guess how much I'm worth? All of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, like just stupid wealth that was grown by, you know, buying a property, their first property, growing that, rolling, you know, gains into the next property, and it was just huge tax efficiency in real estate and leverage that you just can't get in most. You know investments, so I think I think it's a phenomenal way to grow wealth. Um, the other thing that really appealed to me after doing the first deal, you know, the first deal is all about just getting the deal done, right? Yeah. Get, get the deal done, but then afterwards, you know, I'm thinking to myself, what do I like about the business? You know, what what is exciting about the business other than just growing wealth? And I'm like, man, my other business, all the profit flows down to syndication business, like that 76 unit deal, we have 44 limited partners. So when myself and my business partner, Rajkum Federer Chicago, you know, as we improve the property, we grow, you know, we sell that property or refinance that property and pull cash out. It's not just our wealth that's growing. We're helping grow the wealth of 44 other families. They all have different uses of that money. You know, some they need a new car, college education, or you know, nice vacation, or whatever the case may be. But to me, you know, I guess where I am in life, I'm, I'm 50, and you know, I like the idea of being in a business that I can serve others and help grow the wealth of other people. It's not just about the bachelors. That's that's awesome. Um, what did, what have you probably learned or like like by interviewing you know syndicators on your pod, podcast? And congrats to starting a podcast because that's another thing that a lot of people think about it and they don't start it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. You just jumped right in. Um, what do you think the people you've interviewed? What do you probably learn the most from them just in the business, just by doing interviews? Yeah, I mean I've learned from every one of them, but you know one one of the questions that I ask a lot is. Um, you know, about fear and, and uh, you know, how do you, you know, none of us know for sure that it's going to be a great investment. We believe so at, at the time, but we're, you know, we all still have some fear. Like, what if this doesn't come to you know, fruition to our pro forma or whatever? And I heard the same answer from so many different guests. And people will say, you know, I just thought about what's the worst thing that could happen. You know, and What's the worst thing that could happen if I go ahead and go forward with this? And then people think about it and they're like, you know what, if that happens, I can live with that. And then what's the best case scenario? And the best case scenario yeah. is so much better than the worst case. You know, but most people, I think here's the difference between those that can take action and those that can't, is that you know, the ones that 
get paralyzed are so focused on not losing, you know, that they can't get themselves to think, well, what if it goes right? You know, like, what's the upside? Yeah. They, you know, they don't want to lose a dollar. They don't care that they can earn a hundred, you know? So these people that I've interviewed, they're like, I just saw the upside was just so much greater than the downside. And I can mitigate the risks to the downside. So, you know, they are able to take action even though they have fear and they don't have a hundred percent information. That's cool. No, I, I, I think that's interesting because you're right. I think a lot of people fear if I'm going to lose money, I'm going to do this, that. And I get it because, like, Crystal, you're saying a lot of people don't have a background, have nothing. So they're just like, I'm going from being a doctor to now I'm going to be a part-time syndicator. And you're getting people that you maybe know who trust you. And so that's, um, that's really interesting. What... Um, what have you probably, like, just, like, personally, because I know it's, like, podcaster to podcaster, but for you personally, like, what if, where have you grown just by doing a podcast personally, like, in your life or business or anything, right? Like, how has it changed you, kind of, right? And so, you guys are younger than I am, but, so I've got two kids. My my son is, I saw your guys' profile. You have, you have little kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So my son is a sophomore in college at Texas A&M. Cool. And my daughter is a senior in high school. And um, I remember when I started podcasting, like, you have to, you know, you know how it is. You have to record a bunch of stuff, like, before you even get going. And, you know, there's take one, take two, take three, you know. Like, and my kids are walking by my office and laughing at me. Like, your dad, your son, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I and I feel it too, you know. Like in the, in the beginning, you just you don't like your voice, you don't like this, whatever. Like, am I going to be good at this? Um, and then you just do it, you know. And and um, you know, social media is another thing. I wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up with social media, and I was actually like kind of against it. I'm a I'm an old school business guy. I'd rather sit across the table and shake your hand than than you know sent out a bunch of stuff, but when I joined the multifamily mentorship group, they said, Darren, you, you have to sign up for Facebook so you can be in this private Facebook group. And I was not on Facebook. I was not on, you know, I, have, I did have LinkedIn just from my, uh, from my other business. But, so I signed up, and then all of a sudden I had people that were, like, contacting me from all over the country to talk about multifamily. And I was like, wow. And then I have a call. I was like, this is pretty cool. Like, I never would talk to this guy, you know, if I wasn't part of this group. And so I started to try to understand, well, how, like, you know, how does this work and how do I leverage this? And I remember going to a bunch of entrepreneurial conferences and they were like, if you're not on Instagram, you're just dumb. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh, man. And I was thinking to myself, like, Instagram is like a little kids app that my, my kids play with. You know, since middle school, you know, just look at pictures. And so I told my wife, I said, I'm going to this entrepreneurial conference. And my goal is to meet somebody there that knows what the heck they're doing about Instagram. And I can pay them to teach me because I have no idea about this business. So fortunate enough, I did meet somebody. I hired him. <laughs> and I was completely naive. I mean, like, 
I didn't even know how to set up a profile on my yeah. That's you awesome. show me everything, you know? And then he told me, you know, you have to post every day. And I was like, so you got to be kidding me. <laughs> what am I going to post? And, and talk about fear. I was afraid to hit the post button on Instagram because I was afraid what are people going to think? You know, like, what are people going to see this and they're going to, what are they going to think of me? And, you know, he, and I tell him that. And then he say, look, who do you want to follow? You want to listen to somebody who has 100 followers or somebody who has 300,000? I said, okay, I'll do that. And what I found out was, which was interesting, was that, one, some of the people that I was afraid were going to judge me, they could give two shits what you think. Right. They're like, they got their own lives. You know, they're doing other stuff. They're not so concerned about my one post. Um, secondly, all of a sudden, I have somebody from Las Vegas or Chicago or, you know, I had a guy from Spain, you know, reach out, direct message me on Instagram, and then we set up a call. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing. doing this so that you can reach more people and this business is like it's like a secret society you know it's like I never knew it existed I didn't know I could invest in these large apartment complexes until I got involved like three years ago so having your podcast my podcast getting the word out and letting more people know you don't have to have all your money in the stock market you know you can diversify and put money into cash-flowing assets that have awesome tax efficiency and, and, and leverage. So um, that's one of the big benefits is getting the word out. Yeah, we interviewed uh, Grant Cardone, and you know, obviously, you know, love him or hate him, the guy is huge. And yeah, um, absolutely, we were talking to him, and he was just, you know, he's raised. Five hundred million dollars through social media to buy apartments, and you know when you hear, and he's also raised hundreds of millions of dollars, which he doesn't brag about, for um, charities. And so, you know, that's why we, we asked them like, "Hey, does social media like does it kill deals? Does it hinder deals? Do you not get deals?" Because I had one person like be like, "Oh, you're on social media. We don't like you. We're not going to accept your offer." He's like, "Fine," but he said, "Overall, you know, people know me." And that's what he said to us. He's like, you guys need to go out there, buy $100 million deals, use social media, raise the money. Just do it. Just go do it. You can do it. And you sit there and you're like, no, but, but, it, but it's true, though. It's like it starts with just, it's like you said, from the two unit to the 76 unit. From the first podcast where you're like, the camera didn't work, the mic didn't work, it was all messed up, to your fifth unit, you're like, I mean, you look back like, what the hell was I doing in the first one, you know? So I, I agree. I think it's it's cool that when people I I respect people that just especially like you you're you already have a career going, you're doing just fine, but you're like you want more and then you just go, I'm gonna get on a plane, fly here and learn about podcasts. I'm gonna get on a plane and go find some Instagram Instagrammer person to help me for Instagram. And um, I mean you gotta commend yourself because that's huge. And a lot of people sit here and they're not doing anything, but you know, every entrepreneur I said the first thing to do is just go do it, you know? It's just, just do it. It's just buy your first deal. You know, go start your podcast. Go post on Instagram. And I think Instagram's funny because at first, 
people, they might say, they might go, oh, what is he doing? Or give you a little, you know, your friends a little harassment. But when you start being consistent, they start going, oh, this is real. This is consistent. He's really doing this. Then it turns into like jokingly to your all of a sudden respect and then becomes a fan. And then they're like, you got to check my buddy out. So I don't know if you're seeing that, but that's how it was for us. It's like, oh, what are you doing? Come on. And then it's like, oh, wow, we respect you. And then they're like, hey, maybe we should be doing that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, the cons- but everybody I talk to is like, be consistent with it. I'm sure you see that. The more consistent you are, the more you get back. So. Absolutely. And, and the other thing is, and you probably have seen this too, is that, look, on social media, um, you know, you can get caught up with, like, the, whatever, the likes and the comments and all that. But there's a lot of people that that's not their MO. They, they are on social media, but they don't click the like button. They don't click this or that. But, look, I play golf. I'm on the golf course and I'm playing with this guy that I hadn't played with in years. And he's like, Darren, I didn't know you were like totally into the real estate thing. He's like, I've been you know, seeing your posts and I'd like to get into your next deal. This is a guy that has my cell phone number and has never texted me, never commented, never liked any of the social media I put out. But when I saw him in person, he's like, you know, I've seen it. And I want in. And, you know, that's just, you know, part of what you don't see with social media. You know, you're, you're out there educating other people. You need to get involved. Yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. I mean, we've seen because a lot of people come to us and they go, like, how's it going? Like, is that podcast really working for you? Like, social media, are you getting any business from that? Because I've thought about it, but I just don't think, like, I don't think it works. And, like you said, you can't quantify. You can't say I got so much business from doing so many podcasts you, or so many posts on social media. It's not. It's like a it's a long game. So, like, even for us, we said we're going to do 100 podcasts before we decide if we're going to keep going or not. But you got to do 100. We're going to do 100 blog posts. We're going to do 100, like, That's every That's kind of our never realized. Like, when you get 100, the people that are podcasters or that we watch are like, wow, that that is a number because that means, oh, you did 100? Oh, that's, you're serious. This isn't a joke. Like, but then you can look back and go, is my life better or worse for having started this? Is this like a hindrance to my life and my business or has this helped? And honestly, overall, it's been a huge help. It's been great. You yeah. know, we love talking to people too. Like you said, it's, it's, you kind of have to love it because it is work. But, you know, it's great to talk to so many different people and hear their backgrounds and their stories and how they came up. And for us, if we can inspire other people who are like you before you bought a duplex to just get off the fence and do something, just do something, that's the first step, you know? Absolutely. And I was telling my wife not too long ago, I, I said, look, you know, because what prompted me to go with the podcast was I lost that deal, right? And I so I think to myself, all right, not like six months from now, but like three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, where am I better off like having won that 210 unit deal or having started the podcast? <laughs> and in my mind, even though it hasn't like, full, you know, there hasn't been like this huge payday yet, in my mind, the podcast is bringing me to a completely different place that I wouldn't have been able to get to um, versus winning that that's just my, we'll see three years down the road, but that's my viewpoint is I think that the 
podcast will have helped much much more. hundred percent. I think if anything, like you said, it's helping you uh, to have money for more deals too. So then now your problem, which is everybody's problem right now, is finding the actual deal and keeping <laughs> it going. But that was the other thing I was going to say too uh, that I love about syndication and uh, these apartment buildings is I, I try to tell everybody, hey, if you don't have time, like if you don't want to pound the pavement and get to know brokers and side deals every single day and see what's hitting the market and walk properties and drive properties and do all this work, you know, somebody like you or I, we're willing to do that. We'll do all that work and you can invest your money and still at least be invested in real estate, be making cash flow for as little effort as humanly possible, but you're in the game, you're getting tax benefits, you're getting cash flow. Uh, so if that's not for you, but you still want to make money, you can still do that passively. That's that's huge. Like I mean, back when when I was at the bank on that, you know, 2002 to 2006, I was making really good money, and I would have loved to oh. had known a syndicator that I could have taken pieces of my capital and given it to, to them to go and put into deals and grow my wealth, right? And, you know, I didn't know about it until I got involved two years ago. So I think that it's a, I think it's a no-brainer for people to get involved on the passive side. If they're a higher income earner and they're not in real estate, you know, getting involved passively, I think, is something that you have to do. I mean, I, I wish I had done it so much earlier, um, but you know, it's it's a weird thing. Like, I don't understand. I really don't understand why it's not written up in like Wall Street Journal and you know other financial. I mean, I guess I understand because everything's stock related. Um, but that's what everybody's like raised to believe is you know, make good grades, go to a good college, get a good job. And take a piece of your money and put it in the stock market, and then you know, this And that's crazy because, like you said, I mean, I remember I think when when I was younger and I started like a my own retirement account, four hundred one k, whatever, and I gave it this this money manager, and honestly, the money's gone down. And thank God I didn't put very much. It's like you know five grand or something, and now it's like thirty four hundred. I'm like, how does this happen? And you give it to somebody to manage, and you're like, you could give put that money in real estate. People don't even know that, but they can take their retirement and put it into real estate and make a return. You own a piece of something. It's also appreciating and building equity and you can keep rolling it in. It's so much more predictable than the stock market or some guy who sits behind a desk and tells you, you know, how to invest your money. And the sad part is, is a lot of those financial advisors will, would tell you not to invest in real estate. They would, they would say, it's, we have clients come to us and go, my financial advisor says it's really risky to invest in real estate. <laughs> of course like, he does. <laughs> really? He wants you to keep his, your money with him, and look, that person's getting a fee, even though your 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 investment went down. Yeah. That, that financial advisor is still getting a fee, you know, yeah. on that. So it's it, it's a little, um, yeah, it's, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's such a, you know what? Well, what wealthy, um, you know, one of the first things they're looking for is is capital preservation. Right? They don't want to lose what they already have. And then they want to take that and put that in good investments that are going to actually earn them you know, additional uh, returns. Well, everybody knows, everybody, like the 
past cycles, ups and downs, right? But if you look at the long term, real estate has only gone one way, up. You know, so in terms of capital preservation, you're buying an asset that all the tenants are paying for all the expenses, and then there's cash flow left over. Um, and then the returns are substantially better. The other thing I liked about it is you know, I pulled a bunch of money out of the stock market and put it into a bunch of different deals. But when COVID hit last year, and, and we all remember that like two week time frame, right? It was like the stock market was going down and down. Yeah. And look, these multifamily deals, they don't have ticker symbols. So it wasn't like all of a sudden I saw my portfolio go to you know, forty percent down. It it was look, talk to the sponsors, make sure you have the cash to pay the mortgage. As long as you continue paying your bills and pay the mortgage and don't lose the asset, then you're gonna come out the other side. Right? Um so that was I I have had no like I wasn't sitting in all this fear that a lot of people that had Millions sitting in the stock market and it goes down forty percent. They're not feeling too good. Yeah. Now the stock market has come rearing back, right? And who knows what's going to happen going forward? That's the hard part about getting people to move away from the stock market when it's doing so good, right? Is is that if you're making money, it's hard to have them pull money away. But it also makes a lot less sense than real estate, which has always been. I mean, that's scarier to me to put, you know, if you want to invest $100,000 in the stock market, you know, you could have some crazy, you know, Robin Hood thing or whatever, you know, like you can lose your money. Like, and it, it, there's literally no sense in the whole thing. It's people playing a game and it's, it's at least with real estate, it's predictable. It's there. You can drive it. You can see it. You can touch it. You know, you can kind of finagle, like you said, if you have a 76 unit building, you have 76 people. They're not all going to leave in one day. So, you know, you have a lot more safety. I, I personally think multifamily is probably the absolute safest investment you can possibly make. Yeah, I, I've talked to one guy who is a passive in over 40 deals. Wow. So it's, he's not a lead syndicator. He's, he's just passive. Um, over 40 deals, I said, have you lost money on any of those deals? said, Darren, I didn't lose money on one deal. He said, I've had two or three deals where the syndicator kind of got a little flaky. Maybe it was the first deal or second deal, and they decided it was too much work for them, or they just moved to someplace else and went into a different industry, whatever. They were, we had to kick that, that sponsor out huh. and put a new sponsor in there to, to manage the deal. And maybe, um, maybe it was supposed to sell in five years, and we had to hold it till year seven. But we still made money on the deal. And I'm like, you know, that's not a capital preservation story, but it is. Yeah, um, Derek. So two questions for you. Um, what would you say, like, if somebody's listening to this? Because I love the story. It's like you're kind of, you know, not in real estate, did the loans, never bought it, did the two units. Now you've you know done syndication, you're investment passive, you started the podcast. But somebody that might be watching this that's 
a doctor, attorney, or you're working for a bank, and they're like, you know, they, they see this. They see, like, my gosh, I have friends who are doing this. What is the difference from before and now where you can really say, this is really the biggest change in my entire life, you know, going into investing in multifamily, going into multi-grid? Lot to that. Um, one, I think that making the shift is, you know, taking control back. You know, like, you know, when I was, when I was taught, you know, you just take 10, 20% and, and put it aside and put it in the stock market and kind of led to believe you should just put it off there and somebody else is going to take care of it yeah. and make it grow. Um, but then once I got involved in the real estate world, it's more about, no, you know, that's, that's your money, that's your capital. You need to be, take control of that. And you have to educate yourself and be smart about where you invest, you know? So it's kind of a responsibility um, that you have to look at that, not as, so if you're a doctor or you're, you know, you're a software sales rep, you make some great money in the tech field, whatever the deal is, making all this money, there's a piece of your mind that may just say, oh, I'm just going to put it over here and somebody else is going to take care of it and I'm just going to focus on making money. Yeah, but you know what? That's your future, you know? That's your future. And it's also, um, you know, opportunity and, and possibilities of what you do later on. So if you can grow that responsibly, okay, at a much faster clip than giving it to somebody from Wall Street, then you have more choices. Do I stay with the company you're at? Do you start your own company? Like, there's a lot more choices, but if if that really isn't growing that well, well, then you feel you might be more handcuffed to stick where you're at because you have to you have to keep that job, you know. Um, doctors, lawyers, and, and look, they make good money. They need to take responsibility for where they invest that money. So what do they do? You know, if they want to get involved passively, you know, my advice is first decide what markets do you want to be in. You know, so I would, you know, recommend being in growth markets. You know, good markets for for multifamily assets, um, and then look for syndicators that you know, like, and trust. You know, um, and then third would be look at the deal. So I'm still I'm. I'm an active GP, but I'm also investing. I just invested 50 grand in another passive deal three weeks ago. You know, so I still do passive deals as well. Awesome. And then we always ask everybody uh, the same question. What is your definition of generational wealth? Um, hmm. You know, some people, a lot of people talk about building kind of an empire generational wealth so they can pass it on to their kids and grandkids and whatnot. And I always call it crap. <laughs> Not because I don't want the best for my kids. You know, I do. But I also am a believer of you know, kids have to go make their own way in the world. You know? So I want to help them but I don't want to build generational wealth just to hand it to them so they don't have to do anything. You know, so that's where 
I, I get caught up a little bit on the generational wealth because, because I want my kids to be productive. I want them to fight, kick, and scratch to you know get to where they want to be in life. I agree with that. Uh, Kenny and I talk about that all the time with our girls. It's like, hey, because you, you hear about those families where you know, you know, first generation came from nothing. Second generation makes all the money. Third generation loses all the money, <laughs> and so. You know, we don't want that to happen either, and it's like, I think you, you kind of figure out, okay, well, how do we make all this cash flow, and that's great and all. I don't want to be the person that donates it necessarily all to charity, and my kids are going to hate me forever, but, you know, I want them to benefit from it, but I don't want them to squander it. I don't want them to sell it all, and then it comes down to all this, you know, trust planning and things and these rules and, like, trying to work that out, which is a really complex process we have talked about starting but have not started yet because it's really hard to work through all the details of that. It's like you know, building a house with an architect or getting your plans from the architect and it looks great on paper, but then when you're in it, you're like, oh, I want to put that, that light switch over there and should have added some lights here. And, you know, there's like things that are just, there's holes that are missing because you're not in it. So it, it is a tough thing. I think we're all trying to figure out how not to make our kids uh, spoiled brats. <laughs> but right, right. It's going to be that balance. Right? Yeah. Um, well, you know what? I've had a few pod, um, people on my podcast that were very successful and um, I really liked what they did. There was one, one guy, had, he had uh, Kenny Wolf. Um, his daughter, she wanted to, you know, she wanted to do a Lebanese thing. And he said, well, you can't just want to do And she said, what do you mean? He's like, you're thinking too small. Go back and think of something else. And she came back and she said, all right, Dad, I want to I get my first investment property. He's like, now you're thinking, now you're thinking, yeah. And she's like, hey, Dad, you want to invest with me and give me your money? He's like, nope, you got to come up with a way to do it. And I was like, holy cow, Ruth, this is great. Where's she going to leave? So the girl, I think she was like 14 at the time. Um, I'm pulling the number out of my hat. So um, she went to her grandmother. And says, Grandma, I want to buy, you know, a, a single family um, investment property. Can you put up the money and you create an LLC as partners? And the grandma did. And now they're just about to sell it for a really nice profit related to later. That's and cool. That, to me, is fantastic because... He showed her how to do it rather than just giving it to her. That's no, I think that's a that's a very cool story. I think we all want our kids to think that way. Yeah. I'm like, how great would it be if my, you know, 14 year old daughter said I want to buy an investment property? If that's the thing she's thinking about, you know, we're doing something right for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's another guy I follow that's cool. You might appreciate this. So um, he has I think three or four kids. He's like, we'll go to the store and like, hey, we want these, we want this, we go, I want these presents. He's like, cool, let's go buy them. They go, oh, sweet. He's like, we get home, they go, cool, can we open? He goes, nope. What, what do you want? You want a phone? Okay, cool. So he puts the phone, he wraps, it's on the kitchen counter. He goes, cool, that'll sit there. And you read 20 books, you get the phone. Excuse me? <laughs> so he went to the store and he bought all of them, all the stuff they really want. He goes, 
they're all just sitting around the house in different areas. They stare at it every single day. And he goes, how many books? And they're just trying to get there. And he goes, cool. He goes, what books did you read? And he goes, we're good. And he starts quizzing them on it. And they start realizing. And then they're like, wait a minute. So what if I want this? He goes, you want that? I'll get it for you. He goes, you're going to give me that? Yeah. Read 200 books. 200 books? He goes, well, I mean, that's a big gift. So he's learned to say they stare at this every day and they could have it. But he's like, hit this goal, which is, I know if you're reading 200 books or 100 books, I know what it's doing to you. And that's, it's a, it's a, like kind of that. It's like, go think bigger. Like, so they're like, wait a minute, what will you give me? He goes, I'll get you whatever you want, but it's going to come with a price of, he goes, because people usually just books. He thinks books and, you know, all these successful people, they just read books, books, books. So anyways, I thought it kind of triggered that story for that. That was cool. It, it is, right? Like, I like that. So, um, well, where can people find you, learn more about you, you know? Um, so, my website's probably the best place, uh, darrenbatchelder.com. So, that's D-A-R-I-N-B-A-T-C-H-E-L-D-E-R.com. It's a long name. <laughs> yeah. And so, you can get information about the podcast and me on there. Um, I'm also on most social media now. Instagram is where I'm on the most, but you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Like, uh, love the conversation, and uh, congrats on everything. And uh, you really have a cool story. And I think uh, if people listen, they can be inspired because, like, like you know, I think we all learn mindset and just getting started is literally like so important. It's unbelievable in anything. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.